0: Have kept me in your prayers throughout this week. Uh, I am humbled by your encouragement and your respect. And so, would you uh, bow your heads with me this morning once again and open up in a word of prayer with me? This time together. Commit myself to you, Lord. May my words be pleasing to you. Uh, clarity of speech, clarity of thought, Lord. And Lord, I also commit your people to you, Lord. May uh, we be your listeners as you open up your word, Lord. Commit myself to you, Lord. I give you thanks. Give you all the honor and all the glory as we reflect on your grace. Pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Use the malfunction here. Is that better? Good, good. Praise God. Good. When I was a child, I learned to convince myself of what I needed. It was never something of the basic necessities of my life, it was usually something I simply wanted. But since I wanted it, it became my need. On most days it was the latest video game that became my pressing need. And so Christmas would come and the game would become my fixation for weeks. But then there would come a time when it was no longer appealing. When it no longer held the allure it once held. The freshness was gone. And my interest waned. You know what I mean. You see the dress on the mannequin and You know exactly when you will wear it. You've got the shoes, the earrings, the purse to match. You come home and try it on for your husband or your friends, and it's perfect. But then it sits in the closet, behind the other dress, and the blouse, and the leggings, and so on. It's what happens in our life. And sadly, it's what can happen in a marriage as well. The first years between newlyweds is like a fairy tale. The love is fresh, but then their love becomes stale and worn, and sometimes dangerously neglected. And while it should sadden and perhaps frighten us that this can happen to our marriages, we realize that far too often, happens to our faith. When the grace of God first came to our lives, we were on fire. We talked about it. We read about it. We shared it with everyone we knew. We lived by the grace of God. Yet now our fire has become a small flicker in the wind, and the grace of God has become a far-gone thought in our minds. You see, it is always our tendency to lose interest. Whilst it is is often our habit to lose interest in the things which are most important. Even the thing which mattered most. The faith we received through the grace of God. And we should ask ourselves... Why is the grace of God important? What's the big deal? What's the importance of the grace of God? What's so good about grace? Now listen, I, I understand that you know a thing or two about grace. You use it in your sentences when you say, That couple was so gracious that they invited us over for lunch. You say grace when you sit down together for a meal at dinner. And I would even bet that many of us in this church could provide a neat definition of grace if we were asked. But that won't do this morning. I'm not interested in neat theological statements of definition or clever acronyms to memorize. I'm concerned about life. What difference does grace make in our life, my life, and yours? What's so good about grace when you and I have to live life? What's so good about grace when the people we interact with at work, at school, at church, are Christians and yet we can't stand them? What's so good about grace if when we look in the mirror we see an ugly person who's undeserving of any real love? What's so good about grace when the addictions we overcame wage war on our lives? What's so good about grace? Well, if this question concerns you this morning. Would you turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. The letter of Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Ephesians 1, 2, 1 through 10. Would you read with, read with me? And you were dead, Ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Apostle Paul lays out for us three aspects explaining the goodness of God's grace. First of all, the grace of God met us where we were. When the grace of God crashed into our lives, we were dead, enslaved, and hopeless in sin. Read with me again verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, Like the rest of mankind. The text lays out that you and I were dead in our sin. There are two words here, two synonyms meaning the same thing, yet emphasizing the severity of our former position. You and I were dead in our offenses and sins against a holy God. Exclamation mark We were dead. When there is an absence of God, there is a spiritual death. There is a permanence, an absoluteness to our position in death. Paul then lays out three ways you and I were dead. First of all, you and I followed the ways of this world. We followed the thought pattern, the habits, the motivations of this world, what was important in this world was important to us. When the world said having the five-bedroom house with the biggest flat-screen TV was more important than a father spending time with his family, we nodded in agreement and said, yeah, that's true. I should work more overtime. And when the world said told us what was in that season. We went and spent money on looking in. We were dead in our sin by following the thought patterns, the habits, and the motivations of this world. We were also dead in our sin by following the prince of the power of the air. What does this phrase mean, the prince of the power in the, of the air? It means that you and I were under the control of Satan. In pause there, there was this understanding that man was on the earth, God was in the heavens, and the dark forces, Satan and the demons, were in the air. Close enough to the heavens to be spiritual beings, yet close enough to the earth to impose their will on humans. We... We're under the control of Satan. We were Satan's puppets walking under his influence. You and I were dead in our sin following the the ways of this world and were under the control, the influence of Satan. Finally, you and I were dead in our sin in that we followed the desires of our flesh. The word flesh refers to our inclination as humans towards immorality. As human beings of flesh, we have a propensity to crave things that are ungodly. We desire things which oppose God. The pride of our hearts, the lust of our eyes, the greed of our stomachs. We oppose God. Before the grace of God, we walked in the desires of our flesh. We followed the thought pattern of this world. We're under the control of Satan and walked in the desires of our flesh. We were dead in our sins. We were enemies of God. Now I know what you're thinking. I wasn't that bad. I mean, I know I wasn't saved, but I wasn't that evil. Come on. But what we fail to recognize is that there is no good enough for salvation. You may look at the person sitting next to you at work and think, I wasn't as bad as this person is. But the fact that you live a better life, do better things, and are a nicer person does not make you good enough in God's eyes. During the summer, my wife and I go swimming at Moody's indoor pool. I am not a very good swimmer. My wife, on the other hand, is I had to work myself up to be able to swim across the pool. My wife dives in and swims a few laps just to get warmed up. You and I might look at her and say, yeah, she's a pretty good swimmer. Yet if our goal was to swim from here to Puerto Rico, we'd all be dead. I can hardly swim the length of a pool, let alone across the ocean. And my wife, although she may be a better swimmer than I, would be dead before reaching a few miles. And just like we would be dead trying to swim to Puerto Rico, we would all be dead. We were all dead in the sight of a holy God. You may be a better person than the person sitting next to you, but in the end you still fall short of reaching God's standard. Each one of us was a child, we were children of wrath. Every one of us an enemy of God. In our disbelief, we were dead. There is no middle ground, there is no neutral position. In the game of life, there are no sidelines. You're either on the team of Jesus, or against them on the team of Satan. And every one of us played on team Satan. You and I were dead in our sin. Perhaps you have not reflected on this recently. Perhaps you have forgotten how far gone you were. But when we remember the grace of God, when we remember that it came and we were dead, it will give us a fresh sense of awe of God's grace when we think about where grace met us, should bring us to our knees, worshiping God. Some of us Christians walk around with an air of self-righteousness, don't we? We walk around as if we're something special. You and I were the worst of sinners. Don't kid yourself. The grace of God should have a sober effect on our pride. The grace of God shouldn't cause us to celebrate ourselves, should cause us to celebrate God. The grace of God met us when we were dead, enslaved, and hopeless in sin. Now, if this was our sermon for this morning, it wouldn't be quite good enough, would it? If the grace of God simply caused us to reflect on our past, it wouldn't be that good. Yes, we remember how awful our former state was, but the grace of God also helps us understand our present state. The grace of God didn't just meet us where we were. The grace of God places us where we are. When the grace of God crashes into our lives, we Are made alive and free in Christ. Read with me, beginning in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Here in these verses, we see the contrasting statements Paul is making. The section begins with the conjunction, but. You see, if we ended our time here this morning at verse. At verse 3, you and I would be in serious trouble. You and I would be the children of wrath. But God has acted on our behalf. You and I were formerly children of disobedience who deserved God's wrath. Yet, we are the recipients of His love, mercy, and grace. God was rich in His compassion towards us. God didn't have to have compassion towards us. We were His enemies, yet God was so rich in His mercy towards us because He loved us. Notice it says, because of the great love with which He loved us. The phrase means that God has a love that is overflowing. It is rich and vast. It overwhelms us. And what and what what did God do? in His love and His mercy. He made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. Again, you and I were once dead. We were enslaved in Satan's power. Yet now we are alive with Christ. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead in resurrection is at work in you and me. You think it was amazing that God raised Jesus from the dead? Well, we are also raised with Him in victory. Not only that, but you and I were raised and seated with Him in the heavenlies. Here we have the status and the power to overcome sin and death. When you and I were dead, Paul described that we were under the control of the prince of the air. Now we sit in the heavenlies where Satan's reach does not extend. Overwhelmed by this great truth, Paul interrupts his thought in verse 5 and says, By grace you have been saved. This phrase, you have been saved, does not simply refer to a past action in our lives. It refers to a continuous salvation by grace you have been saved by grace you are saved by grace you are being saved you see god's grace was not just for yesterday it is also for today you and i have been united with christ and so today in our union with him we share his power to overcome sin Let's not minimize the reality of our union with Christ. I'm not a big coffee drinker, but if there comes a time when I need a little pick-me-up, I'll get some coffee, but I add a little cream and sugar. When cream is added to, sh- to, to coffee, a union occurs. The flavors and colors of the coffee are combined with the flavors and the colors of the cream. After this union, I cannot say, I just want the cream, or I just want the coffee. The union is permanent. And in the same way, when you and I place our faith in Jesus, a union occurred. Whatever has happened to Christ has also happened to us. When Christ was made alive, you and I were made alive. When Christ was resurrected, you and I were resurrected, raised And when Christ was seated with all power and authority over all the dark forces, you and I were seated with all power and authority over the dark forces. Perhaps you came in this morning fresh from the battlefield. Your past sin has been waging war on your soul all week. Perhaps it was the desire to go to the pornography or the alcohol. Perhaps it was the desire to become apathetic towards life, to not care anymore, or the desire to return to a judgmental attitude toward those around you. I want to encourage you this morning that by the grace of God, you have been united with Christ in his victory over the power of sin. You don't have to go back. Stand firm, not in your own powerlessness but in the power of Christ. What's so good about grace? The grace of God met us where we were and places us where we are. When the grace of God crashes into our lives, we go from being dead and enslaved to sin to being made alive and free in Christ. There's also a final aspect which Paul points to to understand the goodness of God's grace. The grace of God prepares us for what we do. Through God's grace, we go from being hopeless to having a purpose-filled life. Read with me, beginning in verse 8. So by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here Paul goes back to the parenthetical outbursts he had in verse 5 when he said, It is by grace you have been saved. It is only on the basis of God's grace that you and I are participants of salvation. In our hopeless condition we were helpless. Only the favor of a holy, righteous God could reach down in our depths and lift us up from our death. And we participate in this grace by placing our trust in the God who acts on our behalf. The emphasis is not on what we do. The emphasis is on what God does. Why? Because if the emphasis is placed on what we do, we'd still be dead. We were already reminded what we were capable of doing. We were capable of sinning against the one true God. The only way our nature changed from being children of wrath to being children of God is by the grace of God. Don't misunderstand this as verse 8 tells us. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God this is something that we cannot earn or earn by our own works. Our works don't have that kind of value. It's as if I went this morning to the store to buy an orange juice and tried to pay with Monopoly money. wouldn't work. Our works don't, can't pay our way to salvation. But notice what we've become by God's grace. Paul is not finished with this theme of transformation for we who were once enemies of God used by Satan are now God's workmanship his work of art. It is said that when the great painter of the Renaissance Michelangelo came across a block of marble he would say I see an angel inside of it. And he would begin his work and would convert the block into a work of art. But when the great God of the universe came across us, He did not see an angel. He saw our deep wickedness. But God began His work in us and has transformed us into His masterpiece, His great work of art. There are many of us here this morning who do not understand this. Those of us here who continue to allow the world to tell us where our value lies. Child of God, your value is not in the images in the magazine, nor the definition of manliness or womanhood found in TV. It is found in your Creator. When God transforms you into a new creation, you are God's work of art. And He did not work in us for us to remain statues, but He works for us for good works. Notice, those of us who formerly walked in our sins should now walk in the good works which God has prepared for us. Becoming God's new creation is not a result of good works. Rather, after we have become a new creation, the result will be good works. Before grace, you and I could not please God by our actions. But after, and after grace and while God acts on our behalf, our actions will be pleasing to God. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you placed your faith in God? Then God is working in you to produce good works. To act in such a way that pleases God walk in these things he has prepared for you. Don't assume that God has asked you to simply live, but that you walk, that your walk may be according to what he has prepared for you. What might these good works be? What good works has God prepared for you to walk in? Perhaps it is in your home. God has prepared for you to love and respect your husband. God has prepared you to love and protect your wife. God has prepared you to honor your parents in your words and your actions towards them. Maybe it is at work. God has prepared for you to be a light, a vessel of His integrity. Perhaps it is at His church. God has prepared you to be a servant, not merely a casual visitor on Sunday mornings. What are these good works which God has prepared for you? The grace of God prepares us for these things. Perhaps you came in this morning occupied with your problems. It is my prayer that you will leave this morning occupied by God's solution, His grace. You see, the grace, of God is, the grace of God is not an abstract concept that affected us yesterday. It affects us today and tomorrow. What's so good about grace? The grace of God met us where we were places us where we are, and prepares us for what we do. When the grace of God crashes into our lives, we go from being dead, enslaved, and hopeless in sin to being alive, free, and purpose-filled in Christ. There are some of you listening this morning who undoubtedly have never placed your trust in Jesus. Now I'm sorry to say that you have yet to be a recipient of God's grace. But God's desire for you this morning is that you receive His grace. God's desire for you this morning is that you be made alive in Him. To come free from your helplessness, from your hopelessness, and receive a purpose in Him. There is nothing you can do to make you good enough, but the only one who could act on our behalf has done so. By the richness of God's grace and mercy, Jesus came down to the earth, paid the penalty for our sins, and was resurrected in power. And you too can be resurrected from your death. This is the power of the gospel. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey quotes Gordon MacDonald saying, The world can do almost anything as well as or better than the church. You need not be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry, or heal the sick. There is only one thing the world cannot do cannot offer grace where else can the world go to find grace I pray this morning that you will understand the immeasurable richness of God's grace that the power of God's grace would become fresh again in our lives that it would remind us of our past empower us for today for the present and prepare us for the future. Prayer counselors, would you come? If God has spoken to you this morning, our prayer counselors are will be up front for you to come and share your burdens with them. If you have never accepted Jesus, As your Lord and Savior, if you have never placed your trust in Him, please come today. Come and pray with one of our counselors. If God has spoken to you this morning and perhaps has prompted your heart to ask the question, what's so good about grace? Would you come and share and pray with one of our counselors? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the way you have met us where we were. How you prepare us for today, Lord, and prepare us for our future acts in you, Lord. Help us to live in ways that are honoring to you, Lord. Help us to be able to walk in these things which you have prepared for us, Lord that the grace of God may not be something that we think about on Sunday mornings, but that it would help us to live throughout the rest of this week. We thank You, Lord, and we pray these things in Your Son's name. Amen.